1: Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Talking to Change, a motivational interview and podcast. My name is Glenn Hines and I'm based in Northern Ireland. And as always, I'm ba- joined by my friend Sebastian Kaplan and Winston Salem. Hi Seb. Hey Glenn. Good to see you, man. And you. So as we start, can you maybe just remind people of how they can contact us on the social media platforms?
2: Yeah. So on Twitter, you can find us at Change Talking. On Instagram, it's Talking to Change Podcast. On Facebook, it's Talking to Change. And for direct communication with us, for any suggestions for the podcast, or questions or inquiries about training, you can uh, write us at, uh, at podcast at com. And also, we invite you to, to rate and review the podcast and, and give us any feedback uh, you might want to leave there. Fantastic. So... Following our more recent
1: change in our format, we're reflecting on the conversation we've ha- just had with Maddie Nicholson, a physiotherapy or phys- physiotherapist or physical therapist based in the UK, and exploring with her the use of MI in uh, her role as a practitioner and and particularly around the use of ch- MI in chronic pain and supporting people with physical conditions. And I guess...
2: What what's the takeaway from for you then, Sip? Yeah, so it was great to have Maddie on. She uh, she offered uh, a number of insights and uh, important lessons for for anyone really. Uh, I guess one thing that struck me was as someone who has had a few periods in my life where I've uh, gone to see a physical therapist, and all of which have been good to at least neutral. I really appreciated listening to her attention or to the attention that she pays to the uh, to like the bigger picture when someone shows up with with some kind of pain or an injury Mm. Um, it isn't that it isn't just about that particular part of the body that's not functioning well or that is in pain she is quite attuned to the loss that this injury or pain may have uh, brought about for the person uh, she's she tries carefully to stay attuned to any nonverbal expressions of of emotion and has developed skills and and really the courage I think to to name that, to acknowledge that, not necessarily to spend that much time with it, but just mm-hmm. to acknowledge that it's there and it's part of the person's story. and so um i I found that to be maybe the the biggest takeaway for me. Mm.
1: yeah, it was interesting to idea. her yeah, it was interesting. Just listen to the way she described that transition for herself that. She talks about the working with a patient and in and, and, and a room with a psychologist and her turning away, physically turning away to avoid the emotion and then exploring what that was and to, to, to the point where she's now at, where she can hold and contain the experience of being with somebody else and, and, and as a way of that attuning to understand that the, the using the emotion that she's experiencing as a way of an insight to perhaps what the client is trying to communicate and as you say, in the bigger picture. And then being able to respond to that in a helpful way—that isn't just about the physical need of this individual; it's the, the systemic and the whole need of this individual and her desire to be helpful to all of that who that individual is. not we've taken another new direction in the podcast today, and we've introduced an intervention or a role play. And we're, what we'll do is we'll add that to the end of today's conversation. So you'll hear the you'll hear the the podcast end in this traditional way when we say cheerio But then there will be 30 minutes of an intervention of Mari being a physiotherapist with you as the patient. And uh, and that has that's fantastic, really, just hearing all of what Mari has talked about in the podcast come to life. And particularly given the fact that it's the opening part of a conversation, it's that, that engagement part. So you'll hear Mari have a conversation with Seb, and really take the time to engage Seb in the process, role play ends as they begin to focus on what's the intervention going to begin to look at or what the choices Seb has as a patient about what may be helpful for him. So definitely a a, a great episode and uh, very interesting to hear someone coming from a traditionally, a a role that many of us will have identified as being traditionally just give people information, tell them what to do and, that and get on with it to hear you know there's more to this and as a practitioner the more I can do that the more helpful I can be
2: yeah it was uh it's something that we've been thinking about for a while on, on how to introduce and actually we um this was response to uh listener feedback uh we, we got a suggestion and it it just sparked the idea again for us and we thought you know what let's uh Let's, let's record it and see if it fits. And, and yeah, it, it, we thought it went uh, quite well. You can listen to the whole thing, of course. You can listen to part of it. it, it it's really up to you, but we, we think it would be useful, not just for physiotherapists out there, but just anyone who's interested in MI and, and sort of expanding how they, uh, how they do their practice. So um, we hope you all enjoy it. Yeah. So let's have a listen. So welcome, Maddie. Welcome to Talking to Change. Uh, we're really happy to have you with us today. Uh, why don't you start us off telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, what you do, and, and how you got into motivational interviewing.
0: Okay, yeah, thanks for having me and i um, really excited about being here. You, you know, listening to your podcast has really informed my practice and me reflecting on, on things, um, so thank you. Um, yeah, I'm a, a physiotherapist. I guess my background, uh, in the majority of the time I've been a physio, is working uh, with people who have persistent pain, and I've now moved to uh, to a lecturer role, uh, helping undergraduate physios. So yeah, thinking ahead of time, I listened to um, Dr. Rory Allert's podcast uh, when he came on with you guys, and he inspired me to think, okay, well, what what was it that made Am I feel so familiar? I guess. Uh, was there something before that, that came before that? Um, and so I kind of thought, yeah, actually, maybe some of my life experiences has made me more of a listener, um, which was interesting to dwell upon for a bit. Um, and also my dad. So I think, thinking, oh, wow, my dad is so my dear and, and he doesn't know it. And yeah, listen, he never, ever, ever gives me any advice uh, and I kind of didn't realize it until I zoomed in on what he was, how he, you know, how we talk together. And so he he just always uses re- reflective listening. So when a, one of the MI micro skills, I guess. Yeah, ref- reflective listening, reflective listening. And I said, I was curious about that. And I said, what, why? why do you do that all the time? And he said, oh, I've never really thought about it. And he said, I guess it comes from wanting to get it right, wanting to know that I understand the person that I'm listening to over and above inserting anything from me. And so I, I thought that was really interesting. So, yeah, so that, I guess that's before um, I came into my life labelled in that way. And then, yeah, so I worked as an, a musculoskeletal physio um, or physical therapist. Yeah, as a, as a beginner, I guess I started out really curious, you know, learning new skills. And over time... I thought, wow, what am I missing here? I felt like I was kind of giving treatments and advice, and thinking, doesn't really something missing? It didn't really kind of fit with how it felt. Um, and then I met an inspirational physio, I guess, who then uh, introduced mi in terms of some mi training with with Dr. Roryella. Moved into the chronic pain world, and really, when I worked in a multidisciplinary pain service that's when uh the listening to someone's story really came to the fore and started to make more sense oh yeah this is what I felt was missing in my 14 patients back to back in 20 minutes uh previously potentially felt like I couldn't couldn't do that for whatever reason <laughs> and also a real bias biopsychosocial approach to care in the pain service so I felt less of a a need to be a fixer if you like or an expert and more a collaborator to the people who were were coming in so yeah I guess as well having coaching with I keep mentioning Rory he was my sort of early mentor Rory Allen, and I think listening to individual sessions that I've taped recorded was really helpful listening back what I was doing going oh well why did you say that Uh, and then going again I remember one specific moment coming about where I ended up saying something like oh I was listening with with a sense of feeling and that stuck in me because I realized actually it's not I wasn't sort of chasing that change talk or talk about change that someone was saying it was more listening underneath that okay what what important for this person and for me that was a specific turning point Um yeah I'll pause there because I've been talking for a long time
1: <laughs> and a, and a couple, of com- couple of things come up for me right away Mally, is It's it sounds like you've inherited your dad's curiosity and desire to understand it sounds like you know that it was lovely to hear the way you described it that he wanted to get it right and so many of us will recognise the concept of trying to get it right but his description of getting it right wasn't I need to get it right it's getting it right was me understanding you and his effort was to see things from from your perspective and throughout your life, you know, when you look back and go, enough my daddy didn't tell me what to do. But it sounds like you really valued the type of support he provided you in that in those moments of seeing trying to see things from your perspective. And that when you were introduced to motivation Interviewing, view and that came alive for you too, that you you were in a search, the way you were describing it, there's something missing, what's missing here? And even in when you were working with your patients, you were going, there's still something more here to be got. And it sounds like you were, you were dri- driven by a desire to be the best physio you could be and to be as helpful as you could be to the other people. And that the, the MA bridged that to help you understand, right, I can do this. And I guess for a lot of us, it's interesting. And what intrigued me about the idea of motivation to be in, in physiotherapy or physical therapy was the idea, you know, physical therapy as a concept for me is, you know, helping people man, manipulate people's bodies to help them get flexible. And I was going, so where does, where does listening fit in there? And, you know, you just, just tell people what to do and they get on and get on and do it. And I'm mm-hmm. just intrigued, you know, from your perspective and from your experience, where, what is it about the idea of listening the way that you do in motivational interviewing that's so important about helping you to support your patients and clients with those physical conditions?
0: Yeah, um, I guess I've been thinking about this. Um, so it's things, I guess, like you you might presume, and I, I feel like I need a bit of a disclaimer here. So when I'm talking about physios, obviously there'll be loads of physios out there who are naturally really am idea and, you know, I guess like my dad, maybe. Um, and so I'm talking from my own experience of a disclaimer. <laughs> but um, there is also, like you say, an expectation there of what a physio is. And I think that's a really important place to start. Um, so maybe that might, might sound like at the, the during the start of your e- consultation w- with a patient, bringing that into the room, if you like, being quite obvious about that. OK, but, you know, obviously you've been referred by your GP or you've referred yourself in, uh, don't want to presume anything. What What are your thoughts on how physio can help you or what do you know about physios in, that work in this department? Um, and so really up front, we can address that sort of expectation mismatch. If there is one, there might not be. Um, but, yeah, that expectation of, well, what's physio about? Because if we're starting on a foundation of understanding, potentially a better place to build Build from there yeah so then that's sort of truly collaborative I guess from the start and yeah now I've forgotten what you asked me originally
1: the idea of, of the marriage between the, the instinct and desire to simply go do it this way and then mm-hmm. the, the, the extension of that to be curious and interested about the other person so listening rather than just telling all the time
0: yeah, and and I guess moving into the new role that I'm in, in terms of undergraduate programme, that's really important to me because it's getting that balance of saying, OK, you have expertise to give and you have information to give, but actually you're not, you have no idea about this person's life and how that information might fit into their life and and they know more about that than you. And so, as you say, it's getting that balance. And I think, yeah, one of the main things in physio is, is yes, you've got expertise to give, but how and when you do that, really important. So that kind of elicit permission, provide elicit, I guess I've got some ideas on, what exercise might be beneficial for you. um, But really I'm interested to know what your experiences of exercise has been in the past. Uh, Then you get to understand that deeper understanding and then you can readjust, I guess, a focus point from there. Um, But also that idea of evoking, I just don't think as a physio, I had any idea about that. I thought, okay, I've got this information. I've got this knowledge now. I'm going to give it to people. And um, yeah. Evoking, okay, what what are your strengths to bring to this situation? You know, what have you, what exercise have you done in the past, uh, or what have you stuck to in the past? You know, to kind of gauge that idea of, of commitment. I can give you a little story if you like. On this, <laughs> I've I've written a note and I've called it my act attack, which basically was. <laughs> I did a course on acceptance and commitment therapy or acts and I thought, yes, this is amazing. It's great. And I was like, and and this poor patient had had this multidisciplinary assessment, hours of of engaging and listening and and coming up with a plan, which involves me doing some exercises with this person. And in my wisdom, I went, nah, this person needs acts, acts the way forward. Um, And I just, absolutely overloaded them with an act approach and absolutely awful car crash In that they weren't interested clearly because i hadn't listened to what was what mattered to them i was wasn't aware of what stage they were at in terms of engaging in an act approach um yeah
2: i suspect a lot of people could um that that story would resonate with a lot of people who were well-intentioned and super excited about uh, a new approach. And it's like, now I get to use it and forgetting maybe some of the fundamentals of, of that engagement uh, piece that, um, that um, not that people don't engage in when you're doing act. Right. But I guess it was sort of the, the the part of the conversation that was independent of any particular approach, whether it's MI or act or CBT or, or whatever it might be. So so, Maddie. I, well, so I had one um, sort of more com- comment, or I guess reaction to something that you're describing, and then a, a question about something you said earlier. You know, I was thinking we often talk about the illicit provide illicit sequence. I guess in my head, I, I feel like we talk about it. We, the broader MI community, perhaps like when we're giving bits of feedback. You know, you know, um, we want to find out what someone's experience has been doing a particular thing relevant to the work that we're doing, and and then you go through that that process to in, keep them engaged when you're delivering feedback or advice. I know that's not the only time to do it, but that, that's often how it happens. And it was interesting to hear you say, it's almost like you start like very early on, first session, first few minutes, you're uh, initiating kind of a broader elicit, provide elicit process, which is about just the world of physiotherapy as a whole as opposed to any particular thing that they might do to remedy whatever injury or, or pain problem that they have coming in. So I, that was that was an interesting. Um, I don't know that I've heard somebody kind of describe it that way. So I appreciate that. One thing you said earlier, um, which kind of fits, I think also with Glenn's question, you said you made a mention of change talk and, and maybe a, a comment about your your ongoing growth as an MI practitioner that, you know, you you began to realize, yeah, change talk's important, but there's also this, like what's underneath it, or like the story beneath the change talk. And I wondered if you could say a bit more about what you meant by, and maybe say something a bit about change talk in your world, right? But then also talk a little bit about what might be beneath that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. So I guess when I started to learn, uh, am I? It's a really useful tool because you think, well, okay, how how do I tune my ear to what do I listen out for to get a sense of where things are going? Um, and so that being don, cat, sire, ability, reason, and needs, commitment, action, and taking steps. Um, so things that you could kind of put under those categories would uh, would be labelled as change talk. And so what I found doing that was that was that was really important and and helpful. Um, And yes, (laughs) it's a really tricky one because, again, I don't want to tarnish physios in the the same way, but I guess you have a desire to help and you might feel like you know the direction of behavior change or the intended behavior target. So we might say, okay, this person, this person clearly needs to exercise more. And that would help with their knee pain. Therefore, I'm gonna have a conversation with them that will lead to getting them to do more exercise. And and that's from a place of you know wanting to help. And I hear, you know, in trainings, physios say, Oh, get people on board. And I always go, Oh, when I hear that. Um, but I know it comes from a good a good place. Um, but the idea of getting people on board, well in board with what and and how much say does that person have in that, and so that's where listening to my own recordings, I began to realise. Oh wait a minute, who's directing this? Mm-hmm. Yes, am I is directive, but am I being collaborative in a true sense? You know, where is the focus point? Um, so yeah, I, it's really hard to articulate, but I kind of listened out for where that person was talking about so what maybe when values came out or maybe when the you know it's it's hard isn't it sometimes you feel you sense a a difference you know a quickening of speech or something when someone gets excited about something maybe even and and it's kind of like okay that feels important to that person can we be curious about that open that up a little bit more and I'm deviating from your question on change talk to talk a bit about focus so again what I found was I maybe dictated the focus. So, or we'd have a conversation and I go, ah, there's a focus point, right? This person said that they can't sleep very well. I know that that has an effect on, on pain system sensitivity and therefore we'll target sleep. And we will have a conversation around that. And I think it was what, maybe I'm wrong, but Ali Hall, um, a minty who is amazing at metaphor and things. And anyway, um, I remember her talking about avoiding a premature premature focus and that really really resonated with me I thought whoa that's something I've just not I just don't spend long enough on so I guess when you feel like you've got a focus making sure you have got a focus and maybe stepping back delving into things a bit more asking questions to because sometimes when people say oh I just want to get rid of my knee pain okay do we straight away go for that or do we explore well what does that mean what if, if if I had a magic wand and we could get rid of that, which unfortunately I don't, and they know that, mm. uh, patients go, yes, I know. Um, and then you dealt well, what does that mean? Well, actually, what I want to do is spend more time with my grandchildren, and, you know, so you're kind of delving through those layers, getting to more of a, a meaningful focus.
1: Mm. So it's, 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 you're describing a real nuance to the type of helping that, that is of benefit to your service users that that helping can be described in motivation living terms as opening equations, affirmations, reflections, summaries, following the four processes, listening out for change talk, and that's quite straight line, just do it that way. But what you're saying is as, as time, maybe it's important to be aware of that and maybe as we begin to practice or learn that we do it in that very concrete way, we're actively asking open questions on purpose affirmations and getting used to doing it that way but it sounds like as time goes on it's not just the chase of change talk because that's the person talking themselves into change it's about finding the right change talk that that's arising from the client the reasons for them yes they want to have less pain in their knee but even of even more significance to them is the reason why they want less pain in their knee is because they're going to have quality time with their grandchildren and by helping them open that up more Potentially increases the their commitment and time and effort that's going to be necessary to get the, key, the, the their knee stronger, which may mean they'll do exercises what they would, which they wouldn't otherwise do if you just looked at exercise. So again, it's that that lovely description that you're having of, you no, know, paying attention to your experience of being with them, and listen to the subtleties, and not just looking for a problem to give you something to do. It's going okay. This is an issue. And then exploring what else is happening for you to get us broad broader understanding, broader picture before you then move on to the evocation that you described. So what is it you want to do with this or what ideas have you... And, and again, that idea that before you say, here's the problem, this is what you're going to do, you, you respond with an evocative question, which is, with that in mind, what have you already been doing or what is it you think will be helping I guess as you've learned that, what have you noticed then that's that's changed that has made you want to keep doing it?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I guess it's a it's a feeling of a better relationship with that person that you're with. It feels not so I don't feel like the expert anymore. I feel like yeah, that there's a therapeutic relationship there, I guess. And it feels more like you're in it together. <laughs> Which feels naturally more rewarding and useful. I think something that you were saying there made me think, yeah, and it, it's hard. It, it's hard as a physio or any sort of allied health professional to to be curious sometimes because I can kind of sit here and go, oh, yeah, just be curious. Spend this time, you know, <laughs> getting into these deep um, what matters to people. And I guess just just as a as an acknowledgement, really that things can get in the way of that from my own personal experience. I think I got to a point where I was a bit sort of, you know, compassion fatigue and that got in the way of my ability to be curious and uh, sometimes I think, and it also stopped me from having that sort of, yeah, that beginner's mindset, I guess, um, that that got in the way. and And also I think the way that maybe... <laughs> Oh, such a general speaking statement. But, um, you know, the, the the training, you know, that we that we that we have. So in undergraduate, we, we have to assess students. We have to, you know, put them to a criteria. Does that foster, you know, what does that foster? Does that foster being vulnerable uh, and open and honest, uh, which I think is helpful for a therapeutic relationship? Or is it quite, you know, uh, I feel like I'm not articulating myself well now and and then that idea of being a, a fixer like mm. you said problem solver so I love you know Steve Rolnick uh talks about the strengths lenses as an undergraduate physio I did not have strength lenses I had the problem solving where is the issue that I need to fix lenses on mm. and that you know that's kind of the training but also and then how do you want to do that and do you need to undo- do that entirely so it's getting that balance um, again I guess which, which is really important I think so yeah and then in physio it's great it's great we have these these roles where we're first contact physios we see people instead of GPs uh, we work in orthopaedic clinics and I guess it's that expert role which is great it's how we then use that expert role and can we use the MI skills and to weave them into those roles.
2: Yeah. It's interesting hearing you talk about this. It's this may be a phenomenon across health professions where early on in learning and then maybe early on in one's career, it's it can be more about the problem that needs fixing and maybe a bit more like mechanical. And then not for everyone, but for so many people that we've talked to and maybe with our own um, in our own experiences that it becomes more, it, I don't know if it gets back to the relationship with the other person, because I don't know that it was necessarily there at the beginning, right? So it, it might be that it just gets there and we, we sort of take that kind of problem solving fact finding fact based kind of approach to the work And then eventually realize that, you know, what's missing from that is, hey, this is another human being across from us and we need to really connect with them person to person. And I I don't know, maybe that's the way it should be. Maybe there's a way to reverse that. Maybe, who knows? I I don't know what would be better or worse. It's just a lot of times we hear people kind of arrive at that same place that you're describing.
0: Absolutely. And one of my colleagues who says, well, I don't think, you know and my sort of approach should be in an undergraduate program you know cuz maybe it is just about the process and how you get there eventually i, ha- I have another story if you don't mind sharing mm-hmm. this is called my swivel chair story and so this is <laughs> i used to work in a clinic alongside a psychologist and um there's this one client that it was just so overwhelmingly sad what he would talk about and i w- i was in a swivel chair and i used to literally Myself when I felt emotional, just so that I didn't show my emotion and then swivel back. And the psychologist, after what are you doing? And I thought, well, I'm just really sad and I don't want them to see my sadness, you know. And um, I guess, and again, it was just a standout moment that that, that psychologist, well, why, why, why would you not show that person like this is really sad, mm. you know, sort of validate that emotion? And I thought, oh. No, is it is it a physio thing again, where we you know we're taught resilience and professionalism and you know t- to show a certain um, you know way of being, and and is it that we we can show emotion ourselves in a, in the correct amount and in the right context, you know, and actually does that help the the genuineness of you know you are a human being, <laughs> and and actually it's okay not to know everything. That's something that's really important to me in in the undergraduate teaching is you know, it, we can say, you know, we're, we're not, we don't know everything, and that's okay. And that can sometimes, I think, be useful for to, to be honest about with our patients at the right time, in the right way, to the right patient, keep coming back to that sort of individual, I guess. Um, but yeah, and, and another patient um, who had complex regional pain syndrome, we were doing some mirror box therapy where yeah where we help them to tune into their limb again i guess and um and i was doing the physio thing i'm being really stereotypical but i was going right and the next thing is we do this and that and again the psychologist was going whoa whoa, whoa. what are you feeling right now what's coming up for you in this moment and i was going what oh yeah and so i guess again we want to like physios maybe some of us we like to do as well and we like to get things done and we like to you know, feel like we're being helpful ultimately, um, and we have our skills to give. Um, and I guess it's marrying that w- with that, per- that human, like you said, serve in front of us.
1: And I guess a lot of people will resonate with an awful lot of what you're saying there, Maddie, about that idea of uh, emotions arising in their conversations when they're with a client or service user. And it sounds like part of what you were invited to do and explore was what are those feelings? And then to be curious with those feelings rather than these are not, what if you didn't pretend to yourself and you didn't pretend to this client or patient that they, you were experiencing these emotions, what would you notice? And then very significantly, it, it, it sounds like you were being invited, that idea of, of noticing the empathic experience that you were witnessing with this other person. And it's I suppose for a lot of people, it's that ability to learn The notion of being a container, the the noticing that the the sadness that very often, the the feeling that will very often come up with us when we're with a client may in itself be the client's feeling and we're simply noticing it as a way of hearing them in our bodies rather than just hearing them through our ears. And that 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 in itself, the more we become attuned to that emotional experience of the other will help us better understand them and that... Mm -hmm. Uh, very often in my trainings, I talk to people about the idea that what if we were to consider why do human beings have emotions? And it very often comes to people identify it's a way of communication, it's a way of understanding, it's a way of keeping ourselves safe. So we recognise the purposefulness of emotion, and it's I invite them to consider what if we were to discover that emotions are how we communicate need, and that if we can hear the need, we're in a better position to meet the need and meeting the need is helping, which is what we're trying to do. So if we're with somebody who's sad, what does somebody who's sad need? Do that then, and now you're being helpful. And it sounds like that the, the, the psychologist and began to help you to go, what's going on for you? And an invitation for everybody who's listening, who's, your, who's practitioners, to be that reflective practitioner, to go, what is this? And to meet it with the same curiosity that Motivation invites us to do when we're listening to our clients, listen to our own experience and be curious, what is this? Why this now and what is it what's what's been communicated that can help me help them without me be, having to hide or protect myself from this experience? And I guess it you know, given the nature of the people that you're working with, you know, I imagine, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that you were working with people with constant pain. And I know that you've worked with people with chronic pain and or people who have lost limbs. So there's a, there's there's people whose lives have changed fundamentally as a consequence of an event or a series of events, and you're coming into contact with them, and the emotions that they're bringing in with them about the loss of a limb or the fact that they can't go to work or they can't do certain things because they've got this constant ongoing pain. And it's given the fact that part of what we wanted to explore with is the idea of working with chronic pain, can you say a bit more about you know the use of motivation in, in that particular area of your physical or physiotherapy work?
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's really, really uh, obviously unpleasant pain as a definition. So you're working with people who are experiencing something very unpleasant for, that's been going on for a long time. But like you say, it's a loss. It's a loss of so many things for them quite often. Uh, role whatever their role, uh, family, work, and and sometimes um, a really difficult system that they've been through. So they may have seen lots of practitioners and become really disillusioned with, with the service that they've had and a pursuit to get rid of this thing that's not going away. Um, and lots of many fixes have come before you by the point of, of seeing this person. And so, yeah complex sometimes even tra you know traumatic experiences may may influence things as well and so yeah when when we see it as, as not just a an area of the body i guess or um something like that we can we can approach it in in the in the manner in which we should in terms of it yeah that that empathetic uh, compassionate approach um what did I, I i guess what was useful for me was yeah that that idea of Engaging, 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 coming back to engaging over and over again, even though we we might move towards a focus and evoking around moving in a certain direction. Uh, So, for example, reducing opiate medication, but there might be lots of different tangents or areas of management going on at the same time. And someone might say, well, yeah, I really want to reduce my opioids, but I don't want to do any physio. And so I guess it's, it's juggling and, and being in the right place with that specific <laughs> thread uh, with that person and, and returning always to engagement, maybe if, if we've pushed too far in one direction. What I used to find helpful was drawing out some agenda, sort of, um, agenda mapping. So from, from a, a multidisciplinary assessment, it would look like drawing that all out, presenting it to someone and saying, look, what do you think about that? Is there anything that, I've, that we've missed? And where do you want to begin? Yeah, it might not be where I think we, we should have begun. <laughs> and that's fine. Um, or if it's not fine and it's it's a piece of information or there's a reason behind it, I can hear that you want to go here, would it be all right if I explain why this might be, you know, a direction to go in next or before that? Um, I feel like I'm going to go on a tangent now, sorry. But in things like um, initial assessments, so red flag screening, again, it's that permission that this is what the clinic process is. A bit around that, again, sort of this is what it's going to look like, X, Y, and Z. Is it all right if I ask you these specific questions I need to ask? Uh, And then I'd really like to to hear about you and your story. So that they they aren't sitting there then going, oh, asking me these questions again so many people have asked me these about my history and now this person's here again doing it again So it's it's really just opening that, that up and making it kind of obvious from the start um and uh yeah I guess I don't think you know working in pain in, is any different to anything else where you you feel like you might have some helpful ways of going about things and and once you've got that engagement and focus, and, and we can explore that with people. But I'm happy to answer any specific questions.
2: Well, you've offered um, quite a lot of uh, detail, I, I think, about both your own uh, growth in this area, but the importance of the engaging process and specifically the uh, awareness and acknowledgement and working with emotion that patients will have um, in the context of, of the work that you do, uh, people that have lost limbs and people that are experienced, uh, other losses due to pain. Uh, you've also talked about the multidisciplinary context in particular, which seems like it, it is, um, it, it, it truly is multidisciplinary. It's not just a bunch of different professionals working in their own offices, doing their own separate things, but they happen to be in the same building or in the same practice, like you all are literally working together and it doesn't, it sounds like there's, there's nothing that one person on your team does that isn't, it doesn't influence the others and, theref- and isn't also influenced by the others. So that's sort of interesting to kind of see all that put together. I was wondering if you could talk maybe a little bit about some of the specific, I guess, Behaviors, for lack of a better term, but uh, um, the actual behaviors that you are motivating people or, or trying to help people uh, do more of for for their health, you know, and, and maybe thinking like when when someone leaves the clinic or leaves your particular office, I think with most health professionals that they are, we are hoping that they will leave us and do more of something or perhaps less of something. Uh, you gave one example of opiate use, right? Um, but what are some of those things in, in specific to the world of, of the physiotherapist working with people with uh, chronic pain
0: mm-hmm. yeah, one thing might be something called pacing, which is um, for you know for for patients it's it's really difficult because they want to push and push on through in their activity and sometimes that can then flare their pain up, but it's because they want to you know progress but that very thing that they're doing then flares the pain system up because the pain system will always win and get sensitised and it, and it's a really really annoying and difficult skill to learn um, pacing so playing clever with the pain I guess so you you judge what what your li- limits are what the pain system is almost happy with um, in terms of not flaring up too much and then you gradually build that over time and then the tolerance um, builds over time so that might be one thing which is really frustrating. <laughs> Uh, to get a handle on um i guess on the flip side of that is something called fear avoidance so um yeah for very natural instinctive reasons you want to avoid bending because your back hurts because why would i do that because last time i did it it hurts and so unpicking that very complex um difficult um subject area um things like brain neurotags so it's kind of you may want to bring in some pain education at that point where you would use your PPE but also it's around okay how do we help people become confident in movement um and i guess the behavior there will be performing some movements that may have previously been fear inducing and doing that in a graded manner so the graded exposure to that i guess um yeah, I mentioned sleep hygiene. So that's one thing that we would look at. Yeah, uh, I guess everyone's the same. We have these habits, iPhone screens, all that kind of stuff. So again, it's, it's you know, as soon as we come along and go, oh, don't do that. The instinct is, well, actually, it helps me to get to sleep. I like to watch a film. It, it you know, eases me into sleep or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I guess any specific regi- regimes of exercise or physical activity, but in a way that respects the pain system i mentioned the act attacks so acceptance and commitment therapy approaches um encouraging things like mindfulness or mindful breathing but in combination maybe with some great exposure and movement um yeah mm.
1: and in all of that what i hear you do is, is describe the the expertise of your role as the physiotherapist. You have access to all of this information. You have access to all of this knowledge. And it sounds like what, where the craft is, is about how to bring this into the conversation in a way that is going to be of, that the, the patient or the service user is going to find valuable for you, for themselves. And it's that, you know, when you were talking there on about the working with, with individuals who are on opioids and whatever else, again, it's the need the need or the 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 benefit of your being flexible in response that there's, there's multiple, uh, components to this person's recovery and you are responsible for an aspect of that. Whereas other people have responsibilities to support perhaps the pain medication or, you know, the, the home adaptations or whatever else or the psychological issues of the loss and that multidisciplinary work in, in conjunction with each other. But also then, as you described, you know, the, the, it was almost like you were in the first instance you were describing how to help someone learn to be patient, how to become tolerant, that, you know what, this is going to take a bit of time. I know you think that if you bend your elbow 55 times a day, it's going to somehow make things better. In fact, after the 23rd time, it's now going to make things worse. And it's waiting because over a period of time, you'll get to 55, but you're going to have to take your time to get there. And the more time you take, the quicker it will be. And it's almost like that counterintuitive aspect of the pain avoidance. Which, and if if I'm understanding you right you're saying, look, I know that bending down is sore for you, but if you don't bend down, this isn't going to improve. So the mm. idea of I'm going to avoid the very thing that's going to make the the pain that comes with the the recovery process, and mm-hmm. uh, and again, it's that just that back to that sensitivity that you have that you're describing about noticing the, the, tone, the tone of their voice or the, the the wince in their face when you start to talk about things that you can then focus there. There's the need. There's I'm going to spend, spend a bit of time here and use my information exchange protocol. I'm going to give them information. I'm going to explore their understanding before I explain something to them and then explore with them what they think about my advice because ultimately they will make a decision. So there's so much work that you're doing at any given moment trying to work out how to pay attention to that client's needs and the the complexity of that individual's needs.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think a really important point is when when patients come in, the behaviour that they've been doing has been really useful to them up until this point. Otherwise, why would they not have been doing it, you know? So to then... Go, uh, that's not the way to do it. <laughs> You're going to get some, some, yeah, dif- into some difficulty. And so I guess that's really important: is is spending time on that engagement before you dash people. <laughs> you know, you know, someone's been pushing because that's helped them function. You know, for so long. You know, they've been pushing into the pain and keeping active because that's what's allowed them to have a life, meet with their friends you know all of that stuff and so I guess yeah before we come in and and and, and suggest changing that we we need to um show some of them someone that we see and affirm the effort they've put in already uh, and and the reason why they've done that um and yeah I guess I think that's really important and affirming haven't talked much about affirming but yeah physios and affirming I don't know I never ever affirmed anyone um before before coming towards MI and I guess yeah I've I've noticed that it's been really useful when used at the right time after building the right amount of rapport um with someone and I have another story on that if I have time (laughs) just in terms of my experience of receiving an affirmation if that's if we have time Uh, it was at the 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 network of trainers so training trainers training for trainers three-day thingy and i was in a group and it was the end of day three and we stood in a circle and we all took it in turns to go in the middle and affirm someone provide an affirmation and i guess my first reflection on that was it was day three and so we'd spent three days getting to know each other, which is really important. Looking back, because if someone would have done that on day one, I'd have gone, "Oh, so cringy." Um, and then the the person that gave me the affirmation, they said, "You know what? I, you're the one person I haven't, I don't really I haven't really got to know that well." Um, and she said, "But out of everyone, you, you, I I feel I would trust you most." Um, you know with my care and it was just so powerful for me to receive that because I felt like it was really genuine she sort of said look I don't know who you are but it, I, I just felt it and then to witness everyone else giving affirmations to each other sounds really cheesy but it it I just went away thinking why do we not all do this more <laughs> why do I not use this more with my patients at the right time yeah so not straight away and and obviously gauge how it lands really important. But yeah, I guess I wonder whether that's an area for physios and and allied health professionals to grow with the use of affirmation. Maybe not. Maybe it was just me and everyone else did it already.
2: Well, it's a great story and a great, I think, reminder of the importance of genuineness um, in, in that particular exchange. And I think people might, picture or maybe have their own personal experience of physios as somewhat similar to sports coaches who might be encouraging and praising and good job and, you know, go, go, go. And they might find it surprising, or, or and it, particularly if someone's still learning that difference between praise and affirmation. And, and so you found it quite powerful both in that learning uh, experience of your own, but have since found it Really important to uh, to offer a well timed, genuine affirmation of 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 another person that you're working with, and I wonder, could could you say a bit more about that process? Like, what what goes into an affirmation for you? Maybe an example or two with a a person that you remember working with, and how that affected the work that you were doing with that person.
0: Again, I think it comes back to that. The idea of listening with a sense of feeling idea Um, and so it shouldn't feel forced I guess but I guess again it comes with practice so that that you become aware of those moments where you think you know what I'm seeing this real strength in this person here and if, if I felt like I'd built enough rapport with somebody and I felt like it would land well with them I would provide one which interestingly now I'm going to contradict that and say that I used an affirmation quite early on in a, in a consultation with someone who was really low in mood and basically came in and said that you know it was really they, they kind of didn't really want to be here and and um they didn't think we were going to be helpful and it was some yeah something along the lines of you know even though you 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 didn't feel like you wanted to come today, you, you you're here and you're committed to to the the process and the assessment. So something something even like that, just affirming the effort, I guess. Um, and so yeah, like you say, you it, it might be misconstrued as sort of cheerleading, but you can you can use affirmations, and it doesn't have to be in those contexts of. I think I mainly use them a lot at home at the moment as a parent, you know. You, you were really brave doing that, you know. Or, oh, even though you felt like you didn't want to, you, you you gave it a go. That kind of kind of thing. And and personally, that that has transformed, transformed things at, at home. Just being open there about my my family life. Um, yeah.
1: So, just the power of affirmations in relationship in relationships with the people that are important to you, whether they be your patients, whether it be your family, whether it be the people you meet in the street. It's a, it's a, it's a, a presentation of your caring for them because for you, the way you're describing it, for you to be able to offer an affirmation, what you're doing is you're looking in, at and into the other person and that idea that the affirmation is a belief in the other person but the, the thing that you're believing in is in the other person. You're not putting it on them. You're not finding it outside of them. Saying, whereas it, a compliment's more like, I think you are, and noticing something from outside in. What you're saying is you're very committed. You're very dedicated. It sounds like this is important for you. sounds like you really care about your kids. And it's, just, it's about the nature of this other person. And what you're saying is, you know, and lots of us will recognize this. We're, many of us are not used to having people do that to us and very importantly not just to people doing that to us when they're not looking for something in return <laughs> how often mm-hmm. is somebody nice to us and, and instinctively going what are you looking for <laughs> so there's that that uh, conditional experience of people are nice to me when they want something whereas what you're mm-hmm. describing as an affirmation is this is not about me trying to get you to do anything this is me witnessing what you've already done this is me noticing it was lovely the way you described it you're you're noticing the effort someone has made. So you're not waiting to until the job is done. You're noticing the effort it took to get here, the effort it takes to deal with the pain, the effort it takes to be willing to try and do new things, and and the effort it takes to even talk to you, to come to to be be willing to enter into a relationship with you about as a stranger uh, and move towards something else. And I guess. You know, you are now you're now saying that you're you're working in a lecturer's role. And I wonder how are you how are you translating this into your conversations with, you know, new newbie physios and newbie physical therapists and and you mentioned earlier on the idea that some people say look it's too early to introduce MI. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. in your experience, what is it what are you noticing about your students and that you introducing MI to them?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, this is something that's always on my mind how best to do it and um and yeah, I'm leaning at the moment my latest theory is lean towards not banging on about MI cuz of <laughs> course. <laughs> of course if you're passionate about something that's a sure way to you know push people in the other direction. And so I'm I'm now thinking okay, how how do I embody MI? Instead of going on about it or doing sessions about it, how am I being MI? Sounds really cheesy. But it truly is it feels like a transformation when you take those strengths lenses on and you're viewing people in that way who are in front of you. But how can I show that and be that to them? And I'm hoping <laughs> that might that might be useful. And how do I weave it through the curriculum and not maybe maybe not put MI on it as a label and, and and uh, weave the skills into every session. How do we give each other feedback? How do we, uh, what's our ethos? How do we want to set set things up? How do we run the sessions in an MI-adherent way that's, you know? And, and then I think, yeah, but does there need to be behaviour change element to this to call it MI? But what's the harm, I guess, in in, uh, in trying to embody some of, some of the aspects of MI within the programme as a whole? Uh, but it's really, yeah. It's a thing I think about a lot. How do, how do you weave it throughout everything in the right way?
2: Uh, Maddie, your story there or your comment about the importance of not banging on about the uh, everything wonderful about MI is, uh, I can certainly resonate with that. I'm sure a lot of people uh, can as well. Um, so thanks for that reminder. i just wondering if you had any uh, advice or, or feedback. To give some of those graduating students that you're working with, or maybe a physio who's uh, thinking of learning MI and and you know in, in integrating it into their practice, what do you think would be really important for them uh, for them to to do or to keep in mind to do that well?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, important to say that genuinely, this is just what worked for me, and obviously you'll find your own. Uh, best ways of doing things um, but for, for me it was very much helpful to record things with obviously consent and listen back and just such a great way to sort of en- encode myself um, with with the skills really helpful and having someone look in on that as well as well as myself once once I was okay with looking in it on you know myself and then again for me it was maybe, maybe you know once we start to ask open questions and maybe evoke emotion from people making sure we've got that safety net of supervision so that we can look after ourselves and make sure that we can keep coming each time with a beginner's mindset to someone we've never met this person before and yet if we've seen nine other people before that person and we've not had a time to process things we've heard or you know can we can we sustain that I don't know so maybe that's maybe that's useful to think around supervision and just to acknowledge that really that idea of time pressure and and i hear that a lot you know with people learning well how we don't have the time to do that we've got so many patients to see talk to a colleague of mine who is not an msk physio or a pain physio but physio in general and she said yeah you've got that pressure to see this many number of patients physio patients on the ward and you're going it'd be so much easier to go bish bosh bash. you do this you do this you do this and and then she, as she was talking, she went. But probably it would be more useful to say, "What do you know about this?" And <laughs> go from there. And even though it felt in your head, it felt like you had a lot less time. Maybe in reality, it just took the same amount of time.
1: Mm-hmm. And as we come come closer to the end of the session, that it, what I hear you describing there is is that that you, as a practitioner, and, and and I guess an invitation for all of us to be aware of is that as a practitioner, you were on a on, continuous ongoing journey that. There are different things that, different blocks or different aspects of your development that have come to light uh, on your journey. And the idea of sitting back and being willing, and I know lots of us will struggle with the idea of record your session and then it's that whole thing about hearing your own voice and then the willingness to let someone else listen to you in practice with the fear of criticism or ridicule or whatever else. But having to overcome those things have stretched you. The more, the more, the braver you became in your willingness to be curious about your practice, the bigger you became as a practitioner. And it sounds like that's the invitation you're giving to people. Your fear of whatever may keep you small. It's what will help you stretch yourself a little bit at a time. Um, Whereas what are you least frightened of doing next? Start there then and see where that takes you. And and as you get stronger and bigger and more people become involved, the more uh, opportunity you have to become the practitioner that you're capable of. And I think it's a wonderful advice and encouragement for anybody out there who, who's on their journey, whether beginning, middle, or closer to end, that there's still things to discover and keep your eyes and ears open for, for what's coming your way. And And in the theme of what's coming your way... I'm just curious. We often ask her, we always ask our guests at this point of the podcast is, you know, what, what may be happening for you at the minute that may be motivation interviewing related or not, that's catching your attention that you, you'd be happy to talk about for a few minutes with us. Uh, yes.
0: Yeah, so we've touched a bit on, on that. So, uh, working at, Rex Wrexham Glindor University in Wales and thinking about how do I weave in, weave in the MI into that. And then, um, working with professor jeff Brecken at sheffield hallam uni at the moment doing phd roller coaster um <laughs> really and i, I mean obviously oh, my passion for mi keeps me going um through that um really interesting so looking at systematic review and 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 seeing a handful of studies that have used mi in musculoskeletal care specifically and just being interested around fidelity to mi within those studies and. Uh, Sort of the transparency around quality, you know, am trainer quality in those as well? Um, and really, yeah, outcome measures. How do we, you know, how do we know it's been useful? Um, and how do we use what outcome measures do we use in musculoskeletal in care in terms of that area? Really tricky. So questions I have at the moment are if I'm being fair to physios which part of a and am I of a conversation with a patient do I code is it the first bit is it the you know and gaining some feedback recently from stakeholder group they were saying okay well if it's initial interview the last 10 minutes is the bit where we talk talk with our patient which was interesting and then if it's a follow up the first 10 minutes is where we where where you're going to get the good bit and and I guess maybe that's a question for you as well whether <laughs> um And yeah, also what what the physios want, need specifically from an MI training, really interested in um, along that study line. So um, again, I asked that question and they were saying, you know, we want examples. We want specific examples, which I kind of went, yeah, I get that. And at the same time, (laughs) that idea of a toolbox and if we just ask these questions, so my own resistance came up, there, whether that's right or wrong, because, again, it's where how the learning occurs and the building blocks first that you need. But, yeah, exam- specific examples for physio was, was the answer and a lot of experiential learning and feedback. And also, I just wanted to take a cheeky chance to, to thank all, it sounds really cheesy, but thank the MI community and Minties, because I, I just think it's just been vital in, in my learning personally, because everyone's just so generous with their time and expertise. So, yeah.
2: Wonderful. Uh, yeah, it does seem like your your sights are set in the clinic that you work in, but are also much broader and aiming to share with uh, physios in a much broader way of how best to integrate motivational interviewing into their worlds, how best to train and how best to, um, you know, I guess, disseminate. Uh, research uh, and in and, and best practices. Um, so we look forward to what you discover over over the next few years, Maddie. Uh, and Maddie, also, if people were interested in reaching out to you um, and ask you questions or, or sharing ideas, would you be interested in people doing that? And if so, how could they reach you?
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, at MotivationalMad on Twitter is probably the easiest and best way. I do have an email address, which is very long-winded, madeline.nicholson (laughs) at glyndore.ac.uk. So maybe motivational mad at motivational mad on Twitter may be the easiest way. But yeah, I'd love to hear from people.
1: Fantastic. And we really appreciate that. And and just to remind people of ways of staying in touch with ourselves as well, that on Twitter, it's at talking. On our Instagram, it's Talking to Change Podcast. On Facebook, it's Talking to Change. And for ideas or questions or reviews or uh, questions around training, our email address is podcast at com. So, Molly, we really appreciate your time today and we really appreciate your insights to the world of physiotherapy, physical therapy, and your journey into that world, and it's a, your integration of motivation of in, in, in the care and support of the people you come under contact with. So thank you very much for everything you've, you've shared with us today. And uh, I just want to say thank you and good luck and thanks, everybody. Pleasure
0: to be here. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Maddie
1: Appreciate thank it. You. And now here's a role play with Mari working with Seb, followed by us having a debrief of the intervention.
0: Okay. Hi, Seb. Uh, is it okay if I, if I call you? Seb?
2: Sure, sure that's fine. yeah.
0: yeah. So you've been referred here um from your doctor. Um, and what we find is with with other people, um some people think of physios as really sort of hands-on, and other people think of physios as people that kind of coach and help and guide. I'm just wondering what your understanding is of of, I guess, physiotherapy, you know, why I might be here seeing you and and what the clinic here is about?
2: Well, yeah, I, I, back when I was, uh, much younger, when I was in my twenties, I, uh, I hurt my, hurt my back and I had back surgery. So I had, I saw a physical therapist, uh, then, and, um, I can't say it was the greatest experience. I, I, it, it seemed like they were trying all these different things and different strategies and approaches. And it just really wasn't working for me as quickly as I would have wanted it to. And uh, I just wanted to get back, you know, get on with my life and get back to being active and playing basketball and things like that. Um, So I I guess I I am aware that you're going to help me get right physically so I can get back to to doing what I want to do.
0: Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So it sounds like you've already had experience with physio in the past um whether that's been useful or not um not so sure about that um, and at the same time you have kind of come back um here today with with the idea that we might be able to help help you move forward would it be all right if i just kind of outlined how the clinic works and our role of physios here in this clinic
2: sure that'd be great
0: okay um so yeah the the first part of today will be i guess some information collecting <laughs> so um Apologies, but also not apologising for that in terms of we need to make sure you're in the right place. We've got the right information so then we can get the best best care for you. And in terms of um, the, the physio role here, uh, it may or may not be different from what you've previously experienced. But I guess what, what we hope to do is listen to what's been going on for you and then uh, work with you um, to come up with some sort of focus, um, a meaningful focus to move forward with, with your back. How does that sound?
2: uh that certainly makes sense i mean the i guess the more that you know about me the the more you can help me so that that seem, that would work
0: okay lovely um so with that in mind is it okay if i just ask you a few specific questions um that we I touched upon earlier so um yeah any any uh, recent significant weight loss at all um for you recently
2: uh, no, a bit of weight gain, unfortunately, okay. so going in the other direction. But,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any uh, bladder or bowel um, changes at all recently?
2: Nope, none no, of that.
0: No. Okay, and that's a, an important question just that we ask um, because you've come in with your back. Um, I don't know whether anyone's talked to you around that, that before, why, why that question's asked.
2: Well, the, I, I do remember something about, When I had back pain, again, in my 20s, they thought it might be my kidneys and not my actual back. And, it, you know, so maybe that's where that's coming from.
0: Uh, Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. And so certainly, yeah, kidneys definitely, as you say, located around that area. And also with your bladder and bowel, you have some nerve coming out of your back from that area. And sometimes if you have changes in your bladder or bowel, um, it can indicate something that needs uh, urgent attention in terms of the the nerves in your back, but certainly because you're saying there's been no recent changes with that, then that doesn't, that doesn't worry me at the moment.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know.
0: Okay. Um, and any, um, some hard, hard hitting questions to begin with any history of cancer at all uh, for you or in in your family?
2: No, not that I'm aware of.
0: Okay. Um, and again, that's just to make sure you're sort of, we, we get, you're in the right place um, and with the screening questions. Um, and so thank you for filling out the other questions as well um, in your questionnaire. That's really helpful to direct us in the right direction for this session. So really over to you now, tell me your story in terms of, of what's been going on for you with your back.
2: Well, so I've been, um, I, I would say an athlete uh, all my life and uh, basketball in particular, other sports as well, try to play some golf here and there, some soccer with my kids and, uh, running as well as something that I've, I've done quite a bit of. And, you know, uh, with the pandemic, uh, you know, it kind of prevented me from, I mean, not from doing running and those kinds of things, but prevented me from playing basketball for sure. Uh, and, you know, and I, I would say I wasn't as active as I should have been. So they're, they're, that's where my weight gain has come from. Right. But, you know, with things opening up a little bit, I started playing again and it was about two weeks ago and I, you know, I, I I still think I can do things that I probably can't do anymore, uh, you know, out there on the basketball court. And I, and I, you know, I don't even really remember if there was a specific thing that happened. I was just playing. And then by the end of the night, I just, I could barely, uh, I really could barely walk and, uh, was in pretty excruciating pain. And for several days afterwards, I had a real hard, a real hard time getting out of bed. Um, couldn't really find any position that was uh, comforting. Uh, I've tried to avoid heavy medication, but I've been using a lot of ibuprofen to, to treat, um, to treat the, that pain. And I'm, I'm able to at least get in and out of the car and go to work. But uh, I, I decided I needed to see my doctor just to see what was, um, what the, what was the matter. And um, so I saw my doctor earlier this week, and he, uh, he had me come see you.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so it sounds like you've always been uh, an active person, and that's really important to you within your life. Um, and and that's, that's translated into even after having a bit of downtime. Committing yourself, getting back active again. Um and and what you've found with that is that you've then experienced a pain flare-up.
2: Yeah. I um playing basketball is uh always been something really important to me, both physically, but you know, it's a great way to hang out with my friends and and uh yeah, it's just it's just super frustrating. And um, you know, I I I want to get back out there. I, I really missed it during the shutdown and uh you know i'm just looking for ways to, for this pain to go away
0: mm-hmm. okay so i'm hearing there's some frustration there because actually it's really helpful for your mental health and then that side of things for you really important to be active for physical and mental reasons um and i noticed that you talked about going to, to doctor to to find out what was going on being being one thing um but also to to get rid of the pain being another thing. Help me understand that a bit more, both of those things. So how important is it for you to get a a label or a diagnosis and then also about getting rid of the pain?
2: Well, I I guess it's you can't really um, solve a problem without knowing what the problem is. And um, I guess I... I have pain for a reason and I, I suspect the doc, part of the doctor's job is to find out what that reason is and therefore he would know how best to treat it. And, uh, yeah, as far as getting rid of the pain, I mean, that, I, I, I don't know. I, it prevents me. I, I can't play in pain and I can't do other things in pain. So, um, yeah, I I'm, I'm eager for the pain to go away so I can get back to get back to life.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And and pain being something that just gets in the way of what you want to be doing. It's not pleasant. Um, and so naturally you're going to want to know what what do I do to get rid of this um, exactly. and function again? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just just to confirm in terms of how long you've had had this this pain for now, if that's OK. So.
2: Well, I this particular episode's been about two, three weeks or so. I've had pain you know, I had the back pain in my twenties, uh, which was on and off for several years. I ended up having back surgery uh, when I was about twenty nine, and that did the trick for the most part. Um, I've had periods since then in the last twenty or so years where um, my back pain had flared up, but it just took a little bit of stretching and ibuprofen and maybe doing some. Sit ups or something that um that it went away after a week or so
0: uh-huh, uh-huh. so you have had to feels, th- this
2: one feels different though this one feels a bit more i don't know more painful uh feels more like it did back in my twenties
0: uh-huh, okay, so you had this sort of big event in your twenties that, it, that it resulted in in back surgery, and then you've been managing it yourself on and off over the years to the point where you can function, not only function, but, you know, play, play sport, um, regularly. Um, and you found your own way of, of managing it with your stretches, your ibuprofen, your sit-ups, um, uh, and, and now you're, you're concerned that, that, that it's going to be the same as as in your twenties this time, because it feels different.
2: Yeah. I, I, I would have to say, I'm a bit worried that I have to go through what I went through again, but now as someone who's, you know, quite a bit older and less fit. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm interested uh, from your point of view, um, you said that I'm, I'm not so fit or it's different or, or you had that sort of downtime and you and you went back to it and it flared up from, from your point of view, taking the time out to sort of weigh things up and reflect uh, yourself. What, what, where do you think, um, that the, uh, areas for consideration are in terms of, of, of how you look after your back.
2: Meaning like w- what, what do I think is wrong with my back or what, what, what do you mean?
0: Um, I guess it sounds like you've been managing it yourself on well enough off over the mm-hmm. years. And I'm wondering whether there was anything different this time that you think may have influenced how your back, how, how you've man- been able to manage your back symptoms when they flared up. Yeah. Or was there anything that happened that yeah.
2: Yeah, I I think it's really just the intensity of it is was different. It, well, it is what is reminding me of what happened in my 20s, but also is different from what happened since the surgery. You know, since the surgery I, I I was never in a position where I I couldn't go to work the next day. I was never uh, you know, just up all night because I couldn't find a position that wasn't painful. And that's what is happening now. And, and that's what happened at times in my twenties. And so that's, you know, and as far as what, what took place, uh, you know, it was there, it's one of the frustrating things. I don't know why this happened this time specifically. Mm -hmm. I was just playing and Mm -hmm. um, now granted I I have taken a long time off and I'm older and I gained some weight and, you know, uh, so maybe it's just, maybe it's just, I shouldn't play basketball anymore. Maybe that's the lesson here. I don't know, but uh, I certainly hope not, and um, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're weighing up whether any of those factors have any influence at all, uh, and and your gut instinct is that you want to keep keep playing. Um, I mean, hearing your your story and hearing you talking, there are certainly some some areas of focus from my point of view um, that we could delve into it in more depth. um, And I guess I could present those to you. um, And then you could tell me, tell me what you think of them, whether you think it's worthwhile um, looking into together. And then you could just kind of add to that if you wanted, if you felt like, wait a minute, this person's not covered what I was hoping to cover within these sessions. How does that sound?
2: Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to hear your ideas.
0: Yeah, and of course this is, we're, we're having a conversation here obviously love to look at your movement as well, see how you're moving it in your back uh, as part of this this assessment. Um, but, but purely from from what you're talking about, I guess some focus points might be around, um, yeah, I guess the pain system itself, and and maybe exploring that and, and how, how the pain system works. Um, thinking about um, things like pain when you've had it for a little while, and then pain when you've had it for a longer period. So that's just one area. That, that we could touch upon um I guess another area is um depends on how our movement assessment goes but looking around around movement you talked about you, you you're keeping sort of pushing on and keeping being really active and that that is you know allowing you to function because you're an active person with children and you like sport um and at the same time it's it's gauging how we do that in a way that you, it, your back is happy with or your pain system is happy with so, we could explore that in more detail, getting that balance um and how that can move you towards being where you want to be, which is ultimately sustaining your your activity levels mm. without the pain or with a manageable level of pain. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you think about those initial focus points
2: uh, yeah, sure, makes sense you know i, I, I as I as just really again, just really eager to. You know we we play again next week. um you know we don't play all the time, but you know I, if if I could get out there next week i'd I'd really want to and I, so I don't know if there are things that I could really you know kind of do in the next few days that would just get me well again, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, just again, just really happy to hear your ideas
0: yeah and and normal to to want to get back urgently to something that you enjoy doing. Absolutely. Um, And I reckon, yeah, a discussion around how we can facilitate that best. I'm hearing you want it in the long term. You want it in the short term, but you also want to sustain it in the long term. And and hopefully hearing that we can work together the best way to do that to keep you active in the long term. I would, um, yeah, yeah, explore that idea of diagnosis as as a point as well and as a potential focus point. So whether we can, whether we need that to be able to move forward or not. Um and explore that together. Yeah.
1: Can I maybe just jump on here now and just, because I guess that the audience may be interested to know what was going on for both of these during that conversation. And I guess the question is how beneficial that conversation was for the patient. So can I just maybe start with you, Seb, and just be curious? What was that like for you?
2: Yeah, no, I, no, um, yeah, it was good. I came in wanting some, some answers. Uh, and I also understand that, you know, people need to get to know me and understand what happened and understand the story before we get there. But I found it to be um, a really easy environment to, to share. I felt like Maddie really uh, was trying hard to, to listen and understand how important, um, you know, being active is to me. And, and she also took time to really try to understand my history as well. And it sounds like her
1: efforts to understand it from your perspective and to get a broader picture of your experience was important for you. And yes, so what was it about that that you found helpful? Why was that? Because you, you're saying I want to get back quickly. So why why was
2: the way Maddie doing it helpful for you? Well, uh, you know, I've I've seen physical therapists in the past and other healthcare providers too, and you know, sometimes they, it can just feel a bit like they're you know talking at me or, or just sort of poking and prodding because they have either their own agenda or check boxes that they need to check off. And this felt a bit more or a lot more just personalized, really uh, that it was it gave me the sense that, that whatever care I would receive and whatever treatment I would, you know, engage in would truly be because of me and my needs, not because of I'm a middle-aged man with back pain.
1: Mm. So it, it really sounds like it was worth Maddie's while taking the time to do that because there was a buy-in from you as a consequence compared right. to the other encounters you've had in the past. Right. right? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I guess then the next question, and for you, Maddie, you know, how did, what was that like for you and what, What what were some of the choice points that you'd noticed yourself having during that conversation with Seb?
0: Yeah, um, I I noticed my writing reflex rising up at times. Mm. So my gut instinct of, you don't need a label to be able to to manage this. And I said, thank you, mind, and we'll carry on. So a bit of mindful. I, I like to imagine myself, which sounds weird, zooming out and looking over myself sometimes and that that helps uh me to notice those urges um and sit with them uh, which does take an effort <laughs> when you when you want to be helpful um so that was one thing i guess also i was balancing uh i felt like because we'd only just met i was balancing going into a, a deeper level with you with not going too far because i'd only just met you and this person might be going, I've come, I've come in for physio here. Why is she asking me about how I feel about, you know, what role exercise plays with my mental health, you know? So again, I, fa- I felt like I was still a bit surface level, but I didn't feel it was right to go any deeper than that at that stage. And yeah, I guess all those sort of Points for focus was in in my head, and I was building up a little picture in my head, thinking, okay, I could present these things and 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 be led by you, I guess, of of where we go next, and and happy to do that because I didn't feel like there was any specific place to start. Um, I, th- I felt like we could start with diagnosis, but I could say, look, how important is it for you to get a diagnosis before we move on to any any discussion around managing this? And you might go, well, actually, you know what? I said I wanted a diagnosis, but and then we might go dance back to that if actually it r- arose again as we were doing things. You were like, "Yeah, but what's wrong with me? How can I do that if I don't know?" We might then, yeah, come back to that focus, I guess, with your permission and, and understanding on why that might be useful to know about that. Yeah.
1: So it sounds like know. a lot of the effort that you were making there was the the being attentive both to what Seb was saying and what Seb wasn't saying and, and the issues that were for them, but also very important. You were you were describing that attention to yourself that noticing the instinct to go you don't need this or you do need this and and you you described it in MA terms as the writing reflex and the ability to recognize and support yourself not to do it that way so it sounds like again it's that effort on your part to really hear it from the other person's perspective and from what from what Seb has already said he sounds it sounds like he found your efforts to do that in this initial conversation really helpful that led to the point where The conversation uh, ended, which was okay, here are some of the choices you can now make about what we do next that are treatment related.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, as well, I was also weighing up shift, I guess, from engagement into focus and and whether that was appropriate yet. And tuning in, I think at one point I heard Seb talking about maybe the struggle. And then in my head, I was going, okay. are we at the point where I choose to reflect that struggle because we're still engaging here? Or am I choosing to shine the light on his strength of committing to being active still and move it in a direction towards, yeah, mm. that kind of strength focus. So that that was another thing that was going on.
1: So again, as we bring this to close, one of the questions then was, what was it that helped you make that decision about going in one direction rather than the other?
0: mm mm-hmm. That's such a good question. And I kind of think as well about, you know, telephone consultation versus in-person consultation, because I guess people are hearing this, but we can see each other right now. And Mm. some of it is, you know, that intuitive body language thing as well. Mm. Maybe I'm not, I shouldn't say that, (laughs) but it's that kind of combination maybe of, of talk about struggle early on, With that body language, you can gauge how that lands. And I kind of felt, no, I need, I need to acknowledge the struggle. But then, this is such a long-winded way of answering your question. But then, maybe when you do that, if what comes next is more struggle, and you feel like it's tipping towards this, you know, these are all the reasons why it's hard, and it's building this bubble's building. Maybe that's that's my a flag to me to say yes we've acknowledged and now we we need to shift and I need to help help Seb to move forward mm. uh, I think oh what was that I'm just trying to think something that um I think it it's Ali Hall talks about bring, bringing a blanket and, and and not doing that too much and so yes we can do that and we can show you know show the struggle that we hear the struggle and at the same time it's not we're not being that helpful if that's all that we do uh because actually we are we are there to help and facilitate someone move towards change if they want to um ultimately and respecting that autonomy obviously to choose but and, and another thing i guess i think one of the podcasts that you do with terry Moyes again talking about well penny drop for me was about well you talk to people anyway you know why not do it in a way that you're that that is my idea and, and that you're aware of. And it made me think, actually, yeah, you know, the power of of what we choose to reflect hadn't even dawned on me before that point, you know? And so why not be- become aware of that and bring attention to that, which is what we're doing now, I guess, debriefing it.
1: Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'm and, and just wondering, any other thoughts or comments, Seb, from your perspective, either as Seb, the client, or as Seb, the MI practitioner and uh, podcast host? Yeah,
2: I think... You know, that question, it's a great question, right? Why Why do this versus that? Why, you know, is there a reason to, to almost like ignore or just be aware that maybe some sustained talk was in the room, so to speak, and just be aware of it, but not really attend to it or go in there a little bit and, and try to understand that a bit, or maybe go in there while, with an affirmation too, which, which has another kind of dual quality to it. And, you know, these are things that people, we could talk for hours and hours about why we would do this and why we do that. And Not to say it's unimportant to do that. I think it is very useful to be intentional about what we're, we're um, about the choices we make. I sometimes settle back into something that Bill Miller has said many times, which is when in doubt, ref, use a reflection you're rarely going to do harm and something really important might come of it. And, and I, I kind of think of an affirmation, although I I want to be more selective on the use of affirmation. So you're not doing affirmations over and over and over again, it might lose the genuineness of it, but that you could also, you know, maybe say when in doubt, if there's a moment to affirm use an affirmation and, and kind of see where that goes. But as far you you know, Maddie, to your point of like being careful about it, not just becoming one barrier after the other, or sustain talk after sustain talk after sustain talk. I I think in my head, I've thought of many different metaphors to to describe it. Maybe one recently I've thought of is, you know, when you get in a newer car, not well, it doesn't have to be that new, but you get into a car and you start driving without your seatbelt, nothing happens for the first, you know. I don't know, many meters, however it is. And then all of a sudden it starts to, the car starts to ding and it's like, you know, sort of like you don't have your seatbelt on and, and maybe there's a, you know, maybe some newer cars, it starts to get faster. And I sort of feel like that with exploring sustained talk, like after, you know, maybe a couple of volleys back and forth that, that car isn't dinging to say, you know, you might want to switch gears or put your seatbelt on or stop asking about that. And I guess that's how I think of it is, Hmm. For a few moments, it's okay. You're learning more about the person. It's it's you're you're offering opportunities to provide validation, to not judge them for some of their struggle, and then you're going to want to start moving on from that. Fantastic, and and certainly having now
1: got Matty's contact details. If there's anything that came up from that role play, I'm sure you'd be happy to Mary be happy to hear from me, and so would Zeb and I. But thank you, for everybody, for coming along today. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Maddie.
0: Thank you.